Deuteronomy chapter 10, please. Bless his name. Verse 12. Verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked for the Lord your God, is God of God and Lord of Lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. We want to speak this evening on what doth the Lord require of thee, coming from verse 10 of our reading. Now, Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. This is the second time that Moses has come down the mount with two tables or tablets of stone with the law of God written upon them. The first time we read off is in Exodus chapter 32 when Moses goes up the mount and spends 40 days and 40 nights with Almighty God. And the Lord gives Moses the commandments and he writes on the front and on the back of the two tables of stone. And while he's away, it seems as though he's gone for such a long time and he's not going to return. Israel, who are now out of Egypt and encamped at the bottom of the mount, they want to know where Moses is and so they want a new leader and they want to know who God really is. And in their imagination, they think a thought. And out of the abundance of their heart, they take off their gold, their earrings, their jewelry, and they give it to Aaron, Moses' brother, the high priest. And he makes a molten calf. He melts it down, and he makes a calf. And of course, the cry is that these be thy gods, O Israel, who took thee out of Egypt. And this calf becomes what they deem of as being. God who brought them out. They may have been very sincere, but they were very sincerely wrong. You know, there are people in religion today, and they may be very sincere, but they are very sincerely wrong. That the imagination of the mind and the machinations that we have in our minds, it tends to uh, make a God of our own thinking, which then on God's God and makes the man or the woman who have thought him to be whom he is, makes him the person God. So in other words, they were telling, this is the God whom we want him to be, this is the God whom we think that he is, and so he comes out as a golden calf. They even bring the image of Almighty God down to a beast of the earth, a created image of a beast. And so we're told here that Moses 
is up the mountain and God being omnipresent and omniscient, he sees because he's everywhere. And he says, Moses, the people are turning against me. Go down the mountain. And Moses goes down the mountain with the two tables of stone and he sees Israel have become such a licentious and a debauched people. Notice what it says in Exodus 32 and in verse 6. It says of the people that they rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, that is to the molten or golden calf. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now notice the term, the people, they rose up early to do this. They had, first of all, they had a religious attitude where they would get up early, they would go and pay their offering to this false idol God whom they thought was God but wasn't really God. Then that meant they could go and sin and live how they liked. The idea here is they rose up early was they got up early in order to spend the whole day doing what they wanted to do. Notice that rising up early, they served their idol with great energy. And they served their idol with great personal sacrifice and passion. For example, they gave of their time. They gave of their very sleep. They got up early. And also they give of their wealth, for they gave their gold. And how is it whenever we look at other uh, false religions, they seem to be uh, so fervent and passionate about what they believe, yet many of God's people who profess Christ, we find it's hard to get them moving. It's hard to make them faithful. It's hard to get them out of bed, rising up early to pray, or wherever. Notice this, that they rose up early to serve their false god. Moses comes down the mountain, and it says in verse 6, with two tables of testimony in his hands. The tables were written on both sides, and in Exodus 32 and verse 7 it says, and the tables, notice this, were the work of God. The tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. These precious tables, the writing had come from heaven itself. The anointing must have been dripping off them, as it were, for a manner of a word. And these two tables are carried down in stone by Moses to find that Israel had rose up to play. They had sat down to eat and drink. Now, whenever Moses comes down in Exodus 32 and verse 19, it says, Moses saw the calf. In other words, Moses saw the root of the problem. You see, whenever you go to the doctors, he doesn't just want to, uh, and we have doctors here, so maybe the doctor could tell me this if I'm right or wrong, but they want to get to the root of the problem to stem all other things that come from it. They want to find where the root is. When Jesus came, he led the axe to the root of the tree of sin. He led the axe to the root of the tree of the, the, the twisted Talmudic Judaism in the day, of the traditions of their men. And he came and he says, all of this is going to be done away with. The axe is led to the root and the very temple would be destroyed. Here Moses comes and he goes to the root. He sees the calf. What has happened? He sees the calf which shows their heart. Do you know your lifestyle shows your heart? Your walk shows your heart, Christian. Where you go and 
how you act and how you react and what you do, it shows your heart and it shows where you are or where you are not with God. Notice this. It says, And Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount. So Moses comes down and he takes the law and the commandments of God carried by him down the mount and he smashes them to pieces. He casts them out of his hands. He's so disturbed that he sees this calf. And the idea isn't they're just having fun and they're having a bit of dancing. The idea here is that they had risen up and they had wild sexual parties and orgies. That's the idea of it here. And Moses seen it, yet they're so religious, but yet they're living like devils the next, the, by later that day. In the morning, they get up so pious, and, the next, and later that day, by lunchtime or whatever, they're living like a devil. You see, friend, that is not a walk with God. A walk with God is every day. A walk with Christ is getting up in the morning and knowing the God you love, walking with the God you love, and serving the God you love all of the day. Being conscious of him in every step of your way. Being conscious of him everywhere you go. Everything you do. Everything you say. Having conviction in your heart when you've wronged a person, a brother or a sister. When you've done something wrong, the conviction comes and you know you have a walk with God. Someone came recently to me and said that they had, it wasn't a major thing, but they had slipped in a way and they thought they wanted to tell someone so they told me didn't need to but they wanted to and I says you know at least you have conviction in your heart for there are many who have no conviction of sin in their heart and they live a life of it these people thought right we've paid our bit we've done the church thing even as it were to the to the idol and we've come back now let's live how we like and they lived a life or they started to party with a terrible depravity in it. So in Exodus 34, that's in Exodus 32. By Exodus 34, we have the second time Moses is up the mountain. And Exodus 34 is the, is the same story or parallel scripture that we're reading in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Okay, we'll look at it in a moment. It's the same only in Exodus Listen to the Exodus 34 and verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Notice this. Now, you've got to get this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children onto the third and the fourth generations. What did he mean? Now, Moses up the second time. The law has been broken. They broke God's law. It smashed at the bottom. In other words, it, it was literally broken. And this was figuratively the smashing of the tablets is what they had done. They had set an idol up. But notice this. The second time Moses goes up, the second time, 
The only reason Israel were, were able to escape the wrath the first time was because Moses stood between God and them and prayed for them and said, Lord, don't let them, uh, don't let them be extinguished from the earth. But now he goes up again the second time. And while Moses is up the mountain, the Lord passes by him. And the Lord cries and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now you've got to get this, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine this man standing up on this mountaintop and this man knowing that God was justly right to be able to, to quench and, and to come down in wrath and judgment upon Israel. And now he's been merciful and he comes by Moses. And we might say, wouldn't that be wonderful for that to happen to us now? For God to come by us now. Friend, I have something to tell you. God is in this room now. God is in this room now and many... Many will say, but where is he, friend? He's all around. He was here and he spoke earlier. God is here by his Holy Spirit and God is within every blood-washed believer here tonight. He's living in you, the same God. And he tells you, I am the Lord God. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am long-suffering. I am abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. And all God's people are saying, Amen and Amen and Amen. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. Yet, yet he also lets us know that he will by no means clear the guilty. That he will by no means clear the guilty. But notice what he says here. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. And upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generations. Now, I want to clear something up here because... Especially in, I would say, charismatic more than Pentecostal circles, but mostly charismatic circles, all you hear today is generational curse, generational curse, generational. Now, I believe there's such a thing. Don't get me wrong. But I believe when a man and a woman come to Christ, it's over. It's broken. Because Christ is more powerful than any curse. So what does he mean when he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generations? Let me tell you briefly what he means when he says this. In other words, the sin that you commit, brother, your children are watching it. The way you react in your home, your children are picking it up. The godly influence that you are with your wife, and the godly influence that you are among your children, they'll pick that up. And the devilish attitude you have with your wife, and the devilish attitude you have with your, around your children, they will pick that up too. And their children will pick it up from them. If a, if a man is a wife, Peter, you can almost be guaranteed that his son will become one too. Or maybe even his daughter will, will allow some other man to do the same because she thinks that's what's acceptable. Listen, it's not acceptable. It's unacceptable. Because children pick it up. And children think this is how we live. And this is how we act. This is how we live. 
And this is how we act. Brother, have your children. Sister, have your children. And that's just an example. It goes for the mothers too. Everything that we do, have them growing up in the ways of the Lord. Show them a godly attitude. And listen, the chances of a man who comes home and he's drinking or he's been out in the town or he's a womanizer or, or vice versa and they come home and the children see it and the children hear it and the children pick it up, you be sure your son will do the same. Your daughter may do the same. And you be sure that they will be in a society will want to fill their ear with everything and if you don't bring them up in the ways of the Lord, be you sure that the word will bring them up in the ways of the devil. I'm not saying everyone who went in to the world from a Christian home has been showing bad things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this generation here needs to be broken. Our nation has a generation of unchurched kids. Our nation has a generation of unchurched kids because their parents don't want to know the gospel. Even in church circles, the kids aren't being brought to the meetings and they aren't being brought out after the meetings. They're not being brought out at all to some meetings and they're being kept at home. Brothers and sisters, teach them to be in the house of God. Teach them to be in the house of God. Here, we need to break this. For when we accept sin, what you're seeing, that the children are watching now, what they're reading in books, what they're learning in some schools, and what, what they're wanting to bring into schools, what they're wanting to teach the kids in schools, everything that they're doing now, what they see on their, on their devices, their electronic devices, what they're watching, what they're looking at, everything is to normalize the sin that you see in our nation. It's to normalize it. Every program has to have their token homosexual couple in it. Every, every program we look at, everywhere we go, it has to have all different faiths and multi-faith. And yet everybody who's represented as a Christian is the one who's the sinner. Now you check that out and go look at it. And what they're doing is they naturalize to the mind of your children. They're naturalizing to the mind of your children the sin, that sin is natural. I'm okay before God. So how do we break this? Because God says, I will not clear the guilty. And he says, I will visit your children then. But he's going to visit because of your sin. Your sin is passed to them. And their sin is passed to them. And their sin is passed to them. And somewhere it has to be broken. And it's only broken at the cross. It's broken in a godly home. It's broken in a godly lifestyle. It's broken when a man and woman shows the way to Calvary to their children and shows the way to walk before Christ. That's the only way this generational curse, if I can put it like that, this generational curse can be broken. God said, I will visit them. And there'll be a day when you and I, in the right order of things that we will pass away and our children and our grandchildren should the Lord tarry will be still in this earth and what if they die on their sin and what if they die through alcoholism and what if they die through drug addiction and what if they die believing in homosexuality what if they die going to worship false idols and gods and because you and I couldn't be bothered oh God forgive us God forgive us 
Brothers and sisters, I know that people of this assembly are great with bringing their kids out. This church is overflowing with kids. We don't know what to do with them sometimes. And it's brilliant. You know, we're rallying up and down the middle of this morning at the end, playing about. And you know what? I see them all even tonight. I give you credit. It's fantastic. We must break this chain of sin. We must break it in our nation. We must break it in our land. For God said, I'll visit your children then because you have brought them up like that. That's why Britain is in such a state it's in. That's why the United States is in such a state it's in because they have totally broken the law of God. They have cast God's law out and Britain and the United States are in big trouble. I believe the judgment of God is upon us. There's Christians don't believe that God judges. Christians don't believe it. The judgment of God is on Britain. And it's going to get worse. It's time for us to turn back to the God of our fathers and time for us to turn back to the cross. Notice what he says here to Moses. By the way, this is all only the introduction tonight. I'm going to do more next week. Notice what he says to Moses. The Lord passed by before me and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Notice, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. Right, one, two, three. One, two, three. Iniquity, transgression and sin. The word iniquity here uh, is the word avon or avon. And it means forgiving perversity. Perversity, depravity, that which is guilty. Now listen, you go and check this up. That which is guilty passed down from the Father. That's what it means. He says, I'll forgive the iniquity, that which is passed down from their fathers when you turn to me. Secondly is transgression. The word transgression is a word, pesher. And it means nationally, you have broken my law. Morally, you have broken my law. Religiously, you have broken the law. Sin, James tells us, is the transgression of the law. And that's what it means. Britain, nationally, has broken God's law. In fact, it's destroyed it. It's devastated it. And many of us, all of us at some point, break it also. Thirdly, sin. And this word is the word katata. And it means, I will forgive your offenses against me. I will forgive even habitual sin when you turn to me. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5, please, tonight. Isaiah 5. And listen to what the, the prophet says unto Israel. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 18. Now notice this strange little verse. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. 
Do you know what that means? The Lord is looking at them, and they were hitching on their idols, on the carts, and they were pulling them with rope. They were exhausted carrying their own God. They were exhausted carrying their own God, yet our God carries us. They were pulling on the cart rope and they were pulling it everywhere they went and they set up camp and they stopped again. It gives the idea that everywhere you go, he says, you're habitually walking in an open course of sin. He says, and even now I will still forgive you if you turn to me. There's no one that has gone so far that God cannot forgive them. There's no one has gone so far that God cannot reach them and cleanse them from all their iniquity. Let us read on what he says. Verse 19, that say, Let him make good and hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the, of the righteous from him. Notice what he says. He says, you know what you're like? You're pulling this cart of sin. You're pulling this weight behind you. He says, and I, you're habitually all the time walking before me. He says, in other words, God had married Israel in Exodus 19. There was a marriage contract. And he says, I'm walking in to the house, as it were, and finding my wife in the course of adultery. And I forgive her, and I come back the next day, and she's at it again. And I come back in the next day, there she is in adultery again. He says, then I move house, I move town, and you're at it again, and again, and again, and again. He says, and you're like that. Before me, that's who you're like. I'm going to show you what he did, God willing, in a few moments. He says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. In other words, we don't need God. This is who God is. And God wouldn't do that. I don't think that. It's not what we think. It's what this word says. It's what this says. And God says, I've seen the wickedness of your mind and your heart. And you're trailing it every day behind you. And yet I keep loving you. And you turn away from me. Time and again, I reach my hand out to you. And you refuse me. I will visit you in wrath. I'll visit you in judgment. And if you don't break this chain, I'll visit your children because they'll grow up the same. And I'll visit their children because they'll grow up the same. And I visit the third and the fourth generations. In other words, it's not he stops her. The idea is it keeps on going because they grow up like their fathers. They grow up like their fathers. This is what the Lord is saying that in our nation, in Israel it was, and now today, we can see how we call good evil and evil good. Those who have murdered sitting government. Hello? 
non-repentant. There are those who call good evil and evil good by having prayed prayers through the streets of Belfast. By arresting gospel preachers in the street now for telling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's evil and everything else is good. They're no longer hiding in, in the closet, nor are they up the dark alley when they come out with their hoods on. They're open-faced on your television screens. God says, I will visit you. I'll visit you. Is it any wonder Britain is under judgment when our nation has become a nation of drunkards and drug addicts And I'm not condemning because I was one. But the reason is because we grow up like so. I bless my children are, and many of the children in this this assembly because they're growing up in homes that love the Lord and that will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That does not guarantee us, brothers and sisters, they'll grow up right. I wish it did, but it doesn't. But if it's in them when they're coming up at some point, pray, and the Lord will cause the word to generate in them again. Here, the Lord says, I'd forgive all of this if you turn to me. You're putting your cart and you're passing it on to your children, and it is something that they cannot bear. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, we have Moses coming down the mountain. Let's turn to it. I'm not going to overdo this message tonight because there's already a message being preached in it. But what I want to do is I want to round it up somewhere and we'll start on it next week in the Lord's will where we're going with this. And if some stuff that'll blow your socks off you, honestly. And just blow your socks off. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, we have Moses coming down with the rewritten tablets of stone. And they're placed by the hands of Moses in an ark. Now notice this. This is very, very important. Let's read verse 1 on. At that time the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood, and I will write on the tables of wor- the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And thou shalt put them in the ark. And I made an ark of sittim wood, and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and went up into the mount, having the two tables in mine hand, and he wrote on the tables according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them unto me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in, in the ark, which I had made. And there they be as the Lord commanded me. There was an ark to be made by Moses of sittim wood. It's also known as acacia wood. And the acacia tree could be 30 foot high or it came in branches, but it had great gnarly thorns upon it. 
And the Lord says, I want you to take that sitem wood or that acacia wood and make an ark, a box in other words. And when you go down, I want you to take those new tablets with the same word on it and I want you to place it in the ark. I want you to place it in. Why? Because there it will be kept. There it will not be broken. There, although the people's hearts are the same, coming and going, although they're like this with me all the time, he says, there in that place, in the ark, he says, my word will be secure. My words will be kept. No matter what's going around, he says, my word will stand. I notice this. Moses comes and he puts the two tables of stone into this box. The acacia tree or the acacia bush or the sitem tree. We're told that when you cut into the bark of it, there was a gum or some sort of a, a, a sap came out and it was of a red color. And when you cut into it through the bark or the, into the flesh of the wood, the wood was a deep red color like flesh. It was a flesh color. And they took of the sap and the sap that they took, they, they made uh, perfumes out of it. And not only perfumes, they used it for medicinal purposes. They made medicines out of it. So there was a healing quality in the tree. And also, not only was there medicinal and perfume qualities in it, but also whenever they took this and cut it down, this wood was pure red to be covered in gold. Now, you notice this. This place, this case was to be the ark where God would come and rest his presence. Some of the tabernacle was made of acacia wood or sitem wood. It's believed the tree that is known as the burning bush. We think of a wee bush on fire where Moses, Moses, take thy shoes from off thy feet for the place where on thy standest is holy ground. And we tend to think that that bush was only a wee small bush, but it was a large tree on fire. And it's believed to be an acacia tree where the presence of God was in and the fire of God was there, but the bush was not consumed. It's believed to be an acacia tree. So it, it housed, it, it manifested the presence of God. Now when they built the tabernacle in the wilderness, the wood out of many, much of it was of acacia wood or sitem wood. And so that housed the presence of God. When you walk through the first tabernacle part uh, or the first curtain into the second to the Holy of Holies or the most holy place or the holy place, there where the high priest could only go once a year, there was the ark with the tables of stone in it. There was the pot of manna in it and there was Aaron's rod that budded, blossomed and bloomed in it. And that spoke of three things. One was Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Here is the manna pot. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's the manna pot. Secondly, when we look at it, we look at Aaron's rod. It was a dead stick brought to life. It speaks of resurrection, the resurrection of Christ that would come. And also thirdly, were these two tables of stone which spoke of the word of God kept perfect in Christ. Here in the bush where Moses was, here in the tabernacle, and now here in this ark, this ark of sitem wood, the presence of God would come and the presence of God would be manifest. Notice this. This sap was not only for healing and it was not only perfume, 
It was not only where God's presence would be, but it's believed to be the thorns which put, were put upon as a crown upon our Lord's brow were made from the same tree. God knew what he was doing. And he was telling us off a savior to come. One who would break this curse, the curse of the law and the curse of sin, who would forgive transgressions, sin and iniquity. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 17. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Remember, the tablets are within him. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill. The law was kept in Christ like that box in them. The two tables of stone were placed within it. So the law was kept in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. This is what Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 14. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Notice, it's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What Paul is saying is that the law, the curse of the law. Now listen, the curse. God removed the curse in Christ. He didn't remove the law. Grace is not the opposite of law. People say, what's the opposite of law? It's grace. No, it is not. Lawlessness, antinomianism, is the opposite of law. No law is antinomianism. And the law, and the opposite of the law, is lawlessness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. See the word end, E-N-D. It's a word telos. It's the word telos, which means the termination or the limit of something. The termination or the limit of something. Like you get a bus or a tram or a train that goes and is terminated at the terminal. So the end of the law terminates in a place. I want you to get this. I'll just wait till we settle down. Kids are kids, we all have them. Now listen to this. Paul says the end Christ is the end of the law. The word end is telos, which means the termination or the limit of the law. In other words, there are, there's a nation full of people under God's law and have broken it like at the foot of the mount. There are those who are rearing their children and their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, just going up three generations and they're, having, uh, they're, they're ending up in hospitals, and they're ending up in terrible ways because they haven't broken this chain by coming to Christ, by giving their life to Christ, by serving Christ, by loving Christ, by yielding themselves to Christ. And so when you come to Christ, even though you're human, and we all still break the law, we don't do it wittingly, even unwittingly, even though we all still break the law of God, 
Yet those who are in Christ find like a train or a tram or a bus goes up to a terminus and turns around again. It stops with him. When he hung on the cross, it was the terminus. It was the place where the law turned around and found it could no more curse us because we were in him. And when a man and a woman come to Christ, their transgressions, their iniquities, their depravity, that which has been born in us from our fathers, even from Father Adam, the full depravity of our human nature, the transgression of the law, that which we have done and turned away from God, and all the sin and the iniquity which we have committed in our life, it is forgiven in Christ. We are no longer under a curse, but we are free from the curse, born again of the Spirit, washed in the blood. We're righteous and we're justified, and we are declared so before the Father in heaven. This is what we are, brothers and sisters. And if you're not saved and you've never given your life to Christ, then you are under the law and the curse of it. And the Lord says, I will visit you. And then I will visit your children and your children's children. It's not because we have a wicked God. We have a God of love and kindness and grace and mercy. But it's because of our sin. I want to read this and then ask me closed because of so much here. And Paul says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The word end here, telos, the termination or the limit. Now, listen to this. This is what I've written. The moment a man sees Christ and understands what he is, And what Christ has done. He feels. He realizes. He recognizes. And he acknowledges. That the legal. That legal religion is a thing of the past. And that the way to righteousness. Is not in the observance of statutes. But rather it is of faith. It rests in the abandonment of the soul. To the redeeming love and the redeeming judgment and mercy of God found only in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lawbreakers, every one of you. Christ was that ark. He put the tables of stone into it. And there God's glory came down. Kept the law. Perfect. Perfect. We are like Israel at the foot of the mount. We destroyed it. Only Christ can set you free. Only Christ can take away the curse. Next week we want to look at a wonderful verse. The law was our schoolmaster. You know, it's more than you think. People think, well, it's we schoolmaster, as it were, it's a nice wee analogy. It's far more than that. And the Lord's will, we'll look at it next week and we'll see how when we look at him, we see not only a schoolmaster, it gives the idea of something else following you. Until you come into maturity. I'll tell you what I want to look at. I want to look at the covenant that was made with us. I want to make the covenant of blood in Christ. I want to look at how whenever Jesus hung on the cross, it was spoken of in Jeremiah 31, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 10 mentions it. Of course, it's him dying on the cross. But I want to look at it. I want to show you something. How that in the ancient times where they brought a covenant before their deities, their false gods. 
and how God made a covenant with his tablets in that box. And I'm going to show you some places where it says, we have made a covenant, and if you break it, I'll come upon you. And if you break, I break it, you can come upon me, and we're justified. And it's powerful. This covenant can never be broken because it's in Christ. But I need to show you that. What does Britain need? Britain needs this. The Word of God. What do you need? The Word of God. The Word of God. God bless His Word to all of our hearts tonight. I trust that we are all saved. I trust that we all know the Lord as our own Savior.